Revelation chapter 21. Rianne started, uh, went through verses 1 through 8, but we're going to pick up in verse 9. So we'll, we'll be there in just a moment. As it is brought to my attention, oftentimes um, there are a few other little things that I need to mention. We, we shared, and thanks Mike for doing announcements, we, we shared that um, the church 100% unanimously voted to call Joe and Tracy, but um, I didn't put in the announcement that the more important part of that is they did accept that call, and so they are coming, so, um, which, is, which is really an exciting, it's really exciting time in the, in the life, of life of our church. They, they have to, they're moving from South Carolina, so they'll be coming out here. Um, there's a whole lot of housing issues that they have to work on, both on their end and on this end, and and so just be praying for them in that. Um, in the meantime, we will have, between now and January, we will have um, both um, the youth growth group as well as a youth group, normal group. Um, we're working on the fine details of that. But it's going to look pretty similar as far as the times uh, as it did in the past. We're probably still going to have youth group on Tuesday nights and um, the small group, growth group, Bible study will be on another night of the week. So anyway, that's, that's going to take place, but more details to come on that real, real soon. So uh, there's other things I'm sure I'm missing, but let's pray and we'll, we'll turn to God's word. Thank you, Father, for your word, and we recognize that um, without it, we are uh, wanderers. And we, we need to hear from you and your word, the direction of your word, and especially as we look today at Revelations 21, the topic of, of heaven and specifically the, the new Jerusalem. Uh, I pray that we would get a great picture and you would increase our hope for that day and that it would only inspire us to live uh, more filled with your spirit and, desire, and a, a greater desire for us to, to be walking like Christ in our in our world um, here and now as, as our priorities come in line with yours. We love you so much, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a businessman who was getting up in age, and he decided that uh, it was time for him to start preparing himself for heaven, and so he pulled out a suitcase and started to get his affairs in order, apparently, and so um, he filled the suitcase up with what was his most valuable possession. The day comes where he checks out of this world and he's headed to the pearly gates and he's going to bump into, or he does bump into, of course, St. Peter there. And St. Peter says, boy, it looks like a heavy bag. What do you got in there? And this fellow says, well, I, I just packed my most valuable possessions. And as he he said this, Peter said, well, can I see? And the, the man says, sure. And so he unzips the bag, and as it's opened up, it's full of, of solid bricks of gold. St. Peter looks at him, not so much confused, but more um, condescendingly with a bit of a smirk in his voice and says, why in the world would you bring paving materials to heaven? <laughs> Yes, streets of gold, streets of gold, that is in our, our passage today, and specifically, now we've been talking about heaven, we're actually going to wrap up our heaven series, this is just a summer series, we're going to wrap it up today, I really feel like there's so much more that we could exhaust in it, but um, it's the right time to kind of bring this to a close, to move into the, the fall 
And we've talked about a lot of different aspects of heaven, but today we're focusing uh, just first in this kind of a short section on the new Jerusalem. And then as soon as we're done with that, I'm going to take the questions. Many of you have sent me questions through the series, and I've tried to answer them as we've gone along, uh, but there's a number that haven't got answered, so I'm just going to kind of conclude the, the sermon with just reading your questions and then giving um, some dialogue on those questions. So I'm looking forward to that. But today, the new heavens and the new earth, Rianne read about that. Um, the new heavens and the new earth is going to have a capital city. That capital city um, is the specific place where God's presence will be and where Christ Jesus will dwell as well as will rule all of the universe from. And that place is called the New Jerusalem. Now, when you go through and you read in Scripture about the New Jerusalem, it has many different names to bring up. So there's the New Jerusalem. It's also called the Heavenly Jerusalem, the Holy City, the Holy Jerusalem, the City of My God, the Great City or the Great City of God are some of the more predominant names. So as you're, you're reading, whether it's in some of the classic heaven passages in the Old Testament like Isaiah 60 and 62 and 65, or even in the New Testament as some of the New Testament apostles talk about heaven, they may bring up some of these other names of the New Jerusalem. But what is the New Jerusalem? What will we see as we look here at the New Jerusalem? And I forget to change this. The New Jerusalem, first off, um, its, its beauty is unfathomable. Its beauty is unfathomable. It is this. Read here with me in 21 verses 10 and 11. It says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. Now, with this, John is carried away, he's carried away to a high mountain, and this angel shows him this glorious new Jerusalem, this glorious city of God. And we see in this, and through this passage, we see the glory of this city revealed. Now, this glory is the very glory of God himself. The glory of God gives light to all of the city. It shines so brightly that there's no need for the sun or for any other body of light to give light to it because it is so, so filled with the glory of God. Now, I wanted to pause for just a second and talk about the word glory. Glory is a word that gets used a lot, um, both inside and outside of church. I just wanted to quickly try to condense the, the, the definition of glory and put it in its context here. But really glory, when we think of it, the literal meaning is weight or weighty or heaviness. That's what glory literally means. It means, it means heaviness. So when, when we speak of something being glorified, we're speaking of its heaviness being put on display. It's, it's worth being put on display. One thing that oftentimes gets prayed and gets talked about a lot is someone will say, um, or we'll pray that God would be glorified through this or through our worship or through the way that we live. And what that actually, what that actually could mean basically a little bit more, uh, a little bit more condensed is glorifying God is, is going public with his infinite worth, or going public, putting on display the weight of his infinite worth. 
is his characteristics, his beauty. Another word that gets tied to this in our current cultural language is the word awesomeness. It's, it's putting on display the, the, the awesomeness and the beauty and the characteristics of, of our God. That's what it means to, to glorify, going public with his infinite worth. And so that when I say we want God to be glorified through our worship, we're, we're saying that as, as we engage as a body through song, we want our hearts, our minds to be so focused on the, the, inter, the infinite, beautiful characteristics of God's attributes that we are putting that on display. We're glorifying God through that. It's the same thing when we talk about glorifying God in our day-to-day life. When we go to work, when we engage with our neighbors, when we, when we love our families, um, what we're saying is that as we do this, we're doing it in such a way that, that emulates the awesomeness of God. And so for, as, as just to also speak as a husband, my job as a husband is to die to myself, um, is to, to, to be like Christ to my wife. I am, I am when I'm not getting my way and I decide to die to my own desires, I'm glorifying God because I'm putting that characteristic of, of Christ on myself so that he would be glorified because it's not my desire, it's, it's his desire. So it's going public with God's infinite worth with his attributes. So all that to say... The glory of God shines through this city. And as the glory of God shines through the, the new Jerusalem, this city, it actually it has a sparkling sheen to it. Uh, it shines like the green of jasper, but it's still at the same time clear as crystal. This is why it's unfathomable. It's, some would say it's indescribable, and, and that's very true in some senses. The, the glory of God just glitters off of the city as the buildings are crystal clear and everything glitters in the most beautiful ways. Um, it's, it's kind of, I don't know if you remember, but we had a pretty, you know, crazy, uh, it was actually, it was a year ago when we, we closed down church for two weeks because we had um, snow and ice those two Saturday nights before and it, it caused all kinds of issues and um, we had water pipes and broke and flooded the whole church and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but if we get away from that and you were to go out on a walk and I don't know if you've been on a walk like this where you go out and you just see the, the ice that's formed on branches and then the sun hits it and it it's puts off a rainbow of colors. You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen that before? That is probably just a in the most minute amount, a picture of what it's going to be, the, the glory of heaven as the glory of God shines through this crystal clear, translucent gold and jasper and all of these other things. It, it, it's, it's a small thing, but it's very, it's very um, beautiful to think of how God's glory is going to sparkle throughout all things. So if you were to look in verse 12, You'll see a snapshot now in verse 12 of the walls of this city, this unfathomable city. These walls are, are thick. They're 216 feet thick. Um, and this picture is that will be behind these walls of perfection. And what's interesting about this is when we're in the new Jerusalem, uh, when we're in heaven, the, the walls are more a symbol because we don't need the, the security of the walls because there won't be the presence of, of evil and the presence of sin or the worry of being attacked. But it is just this picture of, of beauty. Now, verse 13, look at verse 13. It says this. 
12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, and three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. So now, as we look at these gates on this wall, what we'll see here in these gates is a, is a few things. They've got the, the 12 tribes of Israel on them, and this is a symbol. This is a symbol that the only way to come to God is through the Messiah of those 12 tribes, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way to get into the city, to pass through, pass through those gates. So God sent his salvation, his son, Christ Jesus, through the Jews. No person can enter this city unless they get through and come through these, these gates. Uh, the next thing to be said about these gates is that on these gates, there's, there's three on each of the four faces of the building. And what this symbolizes is that everyone on earth is invited to enter into the city. It's, it's open um, because everyone on earth at that time will be written in the Lamb's book of life. Jumping on to verse 14, it says this. And the walls of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So, so here we see the, the foundations. We see that they have the names of the 12 apostles inscribed on them. These 12 apostles are clearly identified as apostles of the Lamb, which means that the foundation of the city is based on the testimony of these 12 apostles and, and the testimony of, of Christ specifically. Um, so uh, unless Christ had died for mankind, no person would ever be free from sin and made acceptable to God. If Jesus hadn't died for our sins, no one could ever enter into this city because every person would still be bearing their, their own sins. So the, the, the foundation of this city is the testimony of Christ being declared um, by these apostles in their foundational layers. And so, so a person, they build their life upon that testimony. They build their life upon the, the foundation, which is Christ. And the other thing that's really cool, I think, about this picture that we see of the New Jerusalem is that you have the gates that are the, the 12, named of the 12 tribes, but then you have the foundation, which is named after the 12 apostles of the New Testament. So you have both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And even as you read the New Testament, you see there's, there, was, there was issues that would come up between the, the, the Jews and the, and, the, and the Christians and those kinds of things. Well, this is just a picture of God's people, old and new, coming together, entering the city together. So the city is unfathomable. It's, it's beauty. We're going to look a little bit more at its beauty in just a moment. But secondly here, secondly here it's not only unfathomable in its beauty, it's, its shape and its size is enormous. I mean, it is enormous. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square and its length is great as the width. And he measured the city with the rod 500 mi- or 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. And he measured the wall 72 yards according to human measurements, which also are angelic measurements. This city of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, this city is huge. I mean, it's, it's, it's again, it almost in itself, it's unfathomable, undescribable, indescribable. 1,500 miles long, just to put this in context. I was going to put some pictures up, but 
they just were so hokey. Uh, most of the pictures about heaven are just, they seem so like they should be like a TBN backdrop or something. They're just really silly, if you ask me. So I didn't do this. I just want to kind of describe it. 1,500 miles. The, 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 um, the width of the New Jerusalem is literally over half of the United States. If you go from the coast inward, it's over half of the width of, of the United States. So also, when you look at how long it is, it's 1,500 miles long. That is as long as the United States from the, basically from the Canadian to the Mexican border. So it's almost over half and the whole length of the United States, which is pretty crazy. I mean, that's pretty big, right? That's big. But it doesn't stop there. It's also 1,500 miles tall. I mean, that is crazy. It's a cube, virtually, is what it's being described here. So this is 2,250,000 square miles. And then when you add the height, it becomes 4 billion cubic miles in size. I mean, that's big. Uh, that is a really big. And there's all kinds. Everybody speculates if you, if you were to have walls that are, and, and everybody has their own their own deals. But one guy, he tried to extrapolate out how many Christians there would be from, from the beginning of time until whenever Christ is going to return. And he came up with, I can't remember what the number was. It was like uh, 10 billion Christians or something like that. And if it's based on 10 billion Christians um, that are going to be in the new heaven, he, he, based on his, his uh, math, those 10 billion Christians would each be able to have a 500-acre ranch within this four billion cubic mile size. We don't know those things, of course, but the big, the big idea is that it's big. And, and the reason why this is so, so, so great um, is one of the questions, one of the questions that came up throughout this series was, um, boy, how, how is everyone going to fit in the New Jerusalem? Remember, first off, the New Jerusalem is just a part of the, the new recreated earth. It's just a part. But there is belief that all of these people will be able to gather at the same time within the city for, for worship and things like that. How will they fit? They'll fit. They'll fit based on, based on, these, based on these numbers. They'll fit quite easily. So it's kind of exciting to think about that as, as it comes down to the size. Now, uh, let's, jump, um, let's jump to verses 18 as we're looking at this. And both, um, we're going to just read 18 and 21, verses 18 and 21. And we're going to see here now this combination of the, the beauty and the enormity of the, the, um, uh, the building materials and this new city. So it goes like this. Uh, the material of the wall was jasper and the city was pure gold. This gold was like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. And then jumping down to verse 21, it says, And the twelve gates were the twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. The main thing here, the main thing to note is just the spectacular beauty and variety and color within this city, the new Jerusalem. There's a number of different aspects about this city that we see here, that the walls, they're made of jasper, clear, crystal-like rock that is green in color. 
the crystal green wall sparkles, as we've already talked about, in these beautiful colors. Secondly, that the city is made of pure gold, a gold that is as clear as glass. Again, I just can't even imagine what that's like. Uh, there's no gold here on our earth that is clear like glass. So if you, if you just take, think of the size again, the enormity of the city, and then you overlay that with, with pure gold. How, and then you put on top of that the glory of God shining. Um, man, it's just going to be awesome. It's just going to be awesome. So um, the foundations, uh, we've already talked about that, but he brought it up again. These foundations are decorated in all of these most precious and beautiful stones. Um, the gates, the gates have these huge pearls. So these pearls would be virtually 216 feet in width. And so all the commentators thought they were funny. All of them made the same joke. Wow, what a big oyster that would be. You know, that kind of thing. But, but um, very true. You know, if, if God can do this, he can make a, an oyster, I guess, that... I don't know what oysters do. They lay pearl, whatever, whatever they do. So um, the, the streets are made, again, of pure gold, going back to the opening, the opening joke with St. Peter. Now, uh, this is just, it's a staggering picture when you think of it, when you look at it, when you just dwell on it. It's, it's unfathomable. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it's enormous. Um, but the obvious question is, when you think about it, do these stones, do these pictures, does any of this symbolize anything? Is there anything that we can kind of take away from this? And um, there's got to be one meaning, right, to take away from this. And, and this is the meaning I guess I want us to think about, is that um, this heavenly city is worth, well, it's priceless. It's priceless. It's got all of this beauty. It's got all of this glitz, and it's got all of this glamour. And, and it's absolutely priceless. So no matter what a person has to sacrifice, you would think they would be a fool if not to sacrifice everything in order to enter into this holy city of God. It reminds me of the parables that Jesus told when he spoke most about heaven in Matthew chapter 13. And here's just two of them. One is verse 44 of chapter 13. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field, which a man found, and then he hid it again. And from joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has, and then he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and he sold all that he had to buy that. This is verses 45 and 40, 46. It's amazing. We get caught up today in our world with our stuff, but when we think about the beauty of this city and how amazing this city is going to be, and, and I don't know, I mean, all I do know is that um, I feel very um, inadequate in even trying to describe it. And, and yet, in the midst of that inadequacy, it's still super exciting to think about what this place is going to be like. Uh, this new Jerusalem. And that's just the new Jerusalem, um, which is going to be sitting on the renewed and recreated earth, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But wow, how amazing. So for us, um, why wouldn't we do everything possible to enter into this? And the beauty about that is we really don't have to do anything. Christ has already done everything for us in order to enter that city. It's just a matter of us accepting his sacrifice on the cross, what we just celebrated in communion, that message 
is what gives us and gains us entry into this beautiful thing. Verse 22, it says this of chapter 21. It says, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb, are its temple. Here we get a, a little picture, a little picture of the city's worship. There's, there's no temple in heaven. There's no temple in the city because both God and Christ are there. The very atmosphere is going to be heavy, weighty with God's spirit, and every person is going to be filled with God's spirit. So there's, there's going to be no believer without the perfect knowledge of God and his spirit and his presence. So this means that worship is going to be unbroken. We today, we come here and there are so many different ways in which we are to worship God. We know that God calls us to worship. Um, but there's a lot of different ways in which we go about that. And, and um, we try to set up our Sunday services so that we have many different aspects of worship. One of those is, is music. One of those is the fellowship time. One of those is the preaching of the word. One of those is prayer. One of those is loving our children, whether it be nursery up through our jam. Um, whatever the case might be, these are different aspects of, of worship. But we are... Tr- very intentional of trying when people are coming in together that, that we are trying to make God and his worth infinitely known within all of the different aspects. But we all come here with um, things on our plate, things on our minds. I'm leaving tonight to go get ready for elk camp. It's on my mind. Um, but when it comes to corporate worship and gathering together, it's, it's, it's beautiful to come together with you and God's people and to be able to clear the decks and be able to get our focus completely and totally on him. And, and as we do that, it transforms the way that we work and look and serve one another, which, which is just a beautiful, beautiful thing. So in heaven, worship is going to be unbroken. It's going to be nonstop, but the activities of our life in heaven are going to be, uh, I think we're going to be blown away because we have such a narrow view of what worship is on this world. And when we, we look at the life of Christ and we see Christ, Christ, we could say that Christ's life was a life of worship and he lived a real life with real people and um, he enjoyed and he, he, he enjoyed people and he, he lived with people. Um, worship didn't just take place just at synagogue when he was there it took place in all aspects of life and when we're in heaven worship will be always um, and it'll be such a much more perfect type of worship and it won't be just like as we've said in this series a number of times like an eternal church service as we know it um, so verse 23 verse 23 says and the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it for the glory of god has illuminated it and its lamp and that is all that the city needs no sun, no moon, or no lights are needed in the New Jerusalem because God's glory is going to be on display there. So as we, we're going to transition here in just a minute, but as we think about this, living in light of heaven, it really helps us realize that this, this life that we live now is just simply a warm-up. We tend to put so much time and so much energy into, and I've been thinking, you know, I'm not an old man, but I've been, you know, you have this bucket list stuff that you want to do. And you start thinking about this bucket list. And, and really, when I think so much about this bucket list, I realize that, you know what? Um, Bill, don't forget. This is just a warm-up. 
pretty much anything that would be on my bucket list here, anything, um, as long as it's not sinful, which there aren't any sinful things on my bucket list, just so you know. But any, any of those things are, are, are things in which are just going to be part of um, the pleasures of our time in heaven. And we'll, we'll ferret some of that out when we look at some of these questions next. But, but think about it like this. For, for the follower of Christ, for the Christian, um, this present life is the closest that we'll ever be to hell right now as a follower of Christ. This present life is the closest thing we'll ever be to hell. For the non-Christian, this is the closest that they will ever be to heaven, this life. For the non-Christian, this will be the closest they will ever be to heaven. And one of the things that often comes up is, how can a loving God allow or send people to hell? Really, as beautiful as heaven is, in all of the ways that we can kind of very pathetically try to describe it in our, our own words, as beautiful and as wonderful as the new Jerusalem is, is going to be, as beautiful and wonderful as the recreated, renewed, restored earth is going to be, None of that really matters because we will be with God. That is the true definition of heaven. It is the place in which God dwells. And so when someone says, how could a loving God send someone to hell? It's quite the opposite. This loving God came down to this earth to make himself known to this world. God in the flesh. And so when people reject him, they're ultimately saying, I don't want to be with you, God. I don't want anything to do with you. And so it's not God sending them to a place in which is eternal torment. It's them choosing to be separated from God, which just happens to be a place of eternal torment. So it's, it's, a, different, it's a different way to, to look at that. But really, we're only visitors here on this earth. And, and so hopefully now we have this, this picture in, in our, our mind of what this is. And I want to just jump in and um, go through a couple of the questions that have been asked going through this series. And you'll have to be um, gracious as we go through these questions. Just say it like that. So um, one of those is, so we're talking about the new Jerusalem now, the heavenly city. Um, what then is the, the new earth? Which is a good question. What's this new earth thing? Um, so Jesus said to the thief on the cross, he said that today you're going to be with me in paradise. And with that statement, um, the most important part of that statement isn't today. And the most important part of that statement isn't paradise. The most important part of that statement is you'll be with me. And so this paradise is a place where, where Jesus is um, and where God is. And currently this paradise, this heaven, is currently up. We talked about this, I think it was week two. This is called the intermediate heaven. This is the place in which people, believers in Christ, go the moment they die here and now. Um, the day will come after, after the end times events and is... There is as many views on the end times events as there are people in here, probably more. So regardless of what your timeline of the view of, of when the tribulation is going to come, when the rapture is going to come, if it's going to come, when the millennial kingdom will rush, usher in, which so many people are so confused by that, they, they don't think about it a whole lot. But regardless of all of that, when all of those events take place, 
it says that after the battle of Armageddon um, and all of Satan and his angels and those who have rejected Christ in this life are gone to the lake of fire. At that point in time, this new heaven or this new, new Jerusalem is going to come down out of the sky and it's going to rest upon this earth. It's going to take up a pretty healthy chunk of real estate on this earth. And so um, when it does this, this earth is in the process of, and we don't know the timeline, but this earth is going to be in this process of being restored and renewed. So if you think about the earth currently, so go back to the Garden of Eden, that would have been like earth 1.0. The earth today would be earth 2.0. The earth that is renewed at that time, or maybe it starts during the millennial kingdom time, Again, that's up to a lot of interpretation. That is going to be earth 3.0. And that is going to be an earth that is restored and it's going to be renewed. And the things that are not beautiful now will be made beautiful. Or we'll be able to see things that we don't think are beautiful now as beautiful. However, that'll work. But it'll be renewed and restored in the most beautiful of ways. So this, we're looking forward to earth 3.0. So... Another question that came up, are there going to be more cities than just the new Jerusalem on the new earth? This is one where we don't know. To me, it it makes sense that there might be. Um, It makes sense. Why not? Uh, If Jerusalem is going to be renewed and restored, why couldn't there be a renewed Portland? Which needs a lot of renewing, if you ask me. (laughs) No, I love Portland. I worked, I worked there for many years. Um, why not a new Yakult? Um, I, I went on and, and I was just looking in, in, on the Yakult discussion forum and just seeing some of the crime and some of the different um, rough stuff that has gone on recently. I love the idea of a renewed Yakult where that stuff will not be present at all. There won't be worried, worried some things that going on in Yakult and there won't be people being mean to each other on Yakult discussion forums either. Um, so it's very possible. We really don't know. What we do know is that if there is going to be um, a, a other cities, those cities are going to pale in comparison to the new Jerusalem and all of its glory because that's the, the capital city. Um, what about travel? That was another one that came up. Um, what will happen as far as travel? Will we walk? Will we run? Will we drive? Will there be teleportation, space travel? Um, we know that Jesus in his glorified body, we know that he, he was able to um, walk. He did that. And, and so if you have these abilities to walk and move about, it would certainly make sense that we would do that in, in the, um, the new earth as well. Um, so there's really no biblical ev- evidence to the contrary. Will we drive? I fully expect there to be Ford trucks in heaven. <laughs> Will we drive? <laughs> Um, we have to get around somehow Um, some people are absolutely convinced that we we actually literally will be able to do all of these things interchangeably which includes things like Star Trek-ish type of travel I mean if we are going to be and we know this that scripture tells us that um, we will be reigning and ruling the universe with Christ the universe is bigger than just the new heaven and the new earth there's still the other outer spacious spheres. And so there's at least space travel. But I would think that if God can make a pearl that big, I think he could figure out how to 
get us around in space travel. But again, that's just conjecture um, with that. Um, okay, another one that kind of falls in line with this, how old will we be in heaven? Another question that came up. Um, most scholars think between the ages of 25 and 33. Uh, the, the, the thinking behind that is that, you know, that 25-ish age is the, where um, everything seems to work right within the body. Um, and that's kind of prime, prime time. Um, of course, 33, that was the age of Christ at his, his, at his death. And so that's kind of that, that range. Um, we, we know, as horrific as it is, there's been uh, millions of, of children that have been aborted. Or children, uh, I met someone this, this last week who had two days earlier just lost their, two, their two-day-old child. And we know that those children are going to be part of the, the eternity that we're a part of. And so what age will those people be? Well, again, it's one of those things. When my daughter and I were talking, my eight-year-old daughter and I were talking about this, she said, um, Dad, I want to I stay my same age because I want to have fun when I'm in heaven. <laughs> was, was, was her comment. And, and so you just smile and say, well, that might be the case. I don't know. But... Um, I don't want to be my age in heaven. I like the trending towards the 25. I think that would be awesome. Um, but, but regardless of what our age will be, what we do know is that we will have glorified bodies and will be perfected in those, those glorifications uh, and that glorification process. And so um, anyway, we've already talked about the fact that we maintain our uniqueness and our, our individuality in that process. But... but um, Anyway, maybe, maybe the Lord will give us a choice. I don't know. Maybe it'll be like a, an adjustable dial where we can go up and down. I don't know. But there's, there's um, awesome. Okay, so this next one, um, how do I word this? Will there be adult relations in heaven? That was one that came up many times, as a matter of fact. Um, so... Um, <laughs> It's funny, I, I did a lot of looking into this one, and um, no one is, is willing just to say what they, think, they know is true, um, because they're afraid that they'll be made a bad guy, but the, I'll just give a short answer, it, it appears no, okay? It appears no, um, and then the, the little bit longer answer is that, that um, heaven will be far better than sex. It will be far better than... now. <clears throat> In this life, think about it like this. <clears throat> or should I just move on? <laughs> uh, uh, in this life, God gave us the gift of sex. And he gave it to us for primarily two reasons, for procreation and for pleasure. Um, and so we know that procreation won't be um, an aspect of, of our heavenly life. Um, and when we think of, of pleasure in that sense, um, when, we get to, when we get to heaven... The way in which we define pleasure is going to be so much greater, so much further beyond what we define it as today. And, and oftentimes today we, we have this misconception because we know that Scripture teaches that in heaven there'll be no marriage and no people given in marriage. So we won't have that. And I had one guy come up to me after one of the sermons and, and he very soberly and seriously said, so I will have to leave my wife in heaven? And the answer to that question is absolutely not. We will know the people in heaven. We may not be married in the same way that we're married today, but we will continue on in the relationships that we have now. The only thing is, and I hope that you have the greatest relationship, um, but even if you think you have the greatest relationship now, that level of intimacy and, and um, 
knowledge of one another is going to be perfected in, and it's going to be a process of perfection because there won't be sin as part of our life. There won't be the selfish desires within us because most all of our relationships are totally tweaked out because of um, our, our inward desires that we have, and they're manipulative within a relationship. Those things are going to be gone, but we will still know our, our spouses that are here on this earth but the misconception is that there's going to be no marriage in heaven, and there, there actually is going to be marriage in heaven. There's going to be one marriage, and that marriage is going to be between Christ and his bride, the church. And so you and I, along with our spouses here on this earth, we will be married to Christ. He will be the head of our, of our relationship, and that is going to be far greater than anything else. There, there is a uh, we've talked about C.S. Lewis a number of times. He probably best describes this whole question when he, when he says um, this. He says, basically, if you describe to a child, you know, if you give them the birds and the bees talk, if you describe sex to a child, um, that child then looks at you and says, okay, that sounds good. Is it okay for me to bring my chocolate into the bedroom? Because the child, the child... They can't imagine anything better than their candy. They can't imagine anything better. So maybe it's a, their, their stuffed doll or a toy. They can't imagine anything greater than that. So when their parent is describing to them this, and then the child looks up and says, but can I bring in my candy? Um, the, the parent will look at the child and hopefully warmly and lovingly be able to say, I don't think you're going to be so concerned about the candy at that point in time. The child's probably not going to get that, but the parallel you see is the same, for, the same for us. I mean, in this life, this is one of the greatest gifts from God, and so it's natural for people to ask this question and wonder this, but, but the, the bigger and the greater question is that the pleasures in which we will experience in heaven will far outweigh um, the pleasures of this earth, even the, the things that we may or may not think are the greatest of pleasures. Can I move on now? Okay, I'm going to move on. Um, <laughs> in heaven, um, will there be sports? Um, and then this was kind of followed up. Will there be sports? Will there be concerts? Will there be other activities where, where people um, can use their, 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 um, their competitive skills, their skill set? And their human strengths are those things. And, and, and thinking about this, I just think this is a really valid, valid question to ask because it even highlights a greater truth. Um, so if we, just, if we think about, um, we think about our context here, and I've talked with our apostolic um, neighbors, and they don't allow, most of them don't allow their kids to play sports. And their, their thinking behind this is that, um, that competition breeds and brings out the worst in people, especially pride. And pride is a very, very um, hideous sin. This is one of the, you know, it's probably the greatest it's the sin of them all. And, and so their interpretation of that is if the kids play these sports or if they don't play these sports, they don't have to worry about that level. It takes one temptation out of their life. I understand that thinking. I totally disagree with that application. Um, but... Um, it brings out this, this great question. Uh, Randy Alcorn in his book was talking about a pastor came to him after he did a, a sermon on heaven, and, and he tends to think there will be sports. And the, the, the pastor said, there's no way there's going to be sports in heaven because um, sports brings out the worst in people. And his response is perfect. There won't be a worst in people in heaven. It won't be there. 
There won't be that um, drive to one-up people. Um, I was able to experience this when we played on our softball team as a church softball team. Really, yeah, I'm I'm quasi-competitive, but being able to just watch our church family on the softball field, and we were good. Well, we won three out of like 15 games, but that wasn't reflective of our overall goodness. Um, But being able to watch, you know, like Mike King, who was our manager, just to watch his gift of administration as he led the team and to watch our players when when there was a bad call respond graciously. Um, This this aspect, um, for for me, it was, as as a friend and as a pastor, was a worshipful experience because I see Christ-likeness working itself out on the ball field. And believe me, I've been in some really ugly church softball leagues. And so to see this take place is, is a beautiful thing. And so I think the greater truth here, though, is when we're in heaven, the worst of us won't be there. And so we'll be able to enjoy these things um, in such a way. So, uh, you know, my, my leaning is that, yeah, those things, those things will, will, be, will be there. So um, anyhow... Anyhow, those were the, the list of questions. I'm sure there's more, there's more that may come up. You're, feel free to email me, and I will give you my opinion, which will be based as much on Scripture as Scripture informs us on those things. Um, but um, I think that the last and most important question is, how do I get there? That's the, the main question. How do we get there? We, we've said it every week, but how do we get there? Um, simply put, it's trusting in Christ as your, your Savior and Lord, believing that God raised him from the dead. That is how you know you're saved. You know you're going to heaven if you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. It has nothing to do with, with being a good person. That's Christ's job. You turn your life over to Christ, and he'll mess with you. He'll, he'll work on you. It's called sanctification. Um, let Christ be the one that does the work. Get out of the rat race of trying to be a good person and allow the work of Christ to, to dwell in your hearts richly. So if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, then that's what you need to do. You need to trust him. You need to ask him. Let him know. Um, I'll pray here in just a moment. You can pray along with me. And, um, and, uh, and then also we've had a number of other people in the last two weeks that have expressed a desire to be baptized. We've, we've done a month ago today, we did a bunch of baptisms, but I'd love to do some more. So um, if you accept Christ um, today, you can get baptized tomorrow or sometime this week. But um, let's, let's go ahead. I'd, I'd like to have you stand as we, we close in prayer. I'll have the worship team come up as they're going to lead us in a closing song.